Hoot 7 proudly brings to you Basketball Hustle, featuring your host, the writer, Chris Pike, and the scoring machine, Sean Reddish. Now it's time for another episode of Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle. Hello and welcome to another episode of Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle. Here with the sixth episode of our of our brand new show for the 2019 and 20 NBL season. We're having a great time. Hopefully you're enjoying listening to it. I'm Chris Pike, your co-host, and joined once again by the four-time NBL championship winner, six-time Perth Wildcats Club MVP. He was a 2008 Olympian. He's still heavily involved in basketball, as you as you would have seen through the great work he's doing coaching at the moment with some juniors. You can still see him on your TV on NBL broadcasts. He's forever going to be known as the scoring machine, thanks to Lockie Reid. Sean Reddish, thanks for joining me once again. Thanks, Pikey. Let's, uh, let's get into this uh, another episode. Got a lot to talk about. Absolutely. Big show. Um, Adam Gibson, I caught up with with the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix veteran, a man that you've spent a lot of your career playing against, Sean, and had a terrific chat with him. It's been a it's been an interesting ride for him because he for the first time ever in his career he just, just he was able to leave a club on his own terms when he left Adelaide and he thought that he would probably end up finishing his career in Brisbane, but all of a sudden he wasn't wanted by the Bullets coming into this season, so he had to find a new home, and he's had to leave his wife behind in Brisbane to go and play the Phoenix, but he's playing some great basketball right now, and Adam Gibson's a man that you know pretty well. Um, he talks later on about how he might not have always enjoyed playing against you and seeing you on the court, but one time he did was was the the tournament in Adelaide you played. I think it was the high-stakes hoops. What, what memories do you have of that? Oh, look, um, you know, Gibbo was such a competitor out there. Um, I think we played on a few all-star teams together. Didn't mm-hmm. play in the high-stakes hoops. I ended up uh, going and playing over in Puerto Rico um, instead of uh, playing in that. But I, I know well, him. Well, and, don't, know what, um, don't know what he's talking about then. <laughs> well, we haven't <laughs> played in this league for a long time, Pikey. So I think the memories um, just kind of get, get blended in. But you know, one of the things I loved about Gibbo is one of those guys you would want on your teams he was going to compete and i remember when he came in with uh, the brisbane bullets and and you know won won the championship pretty early on with them and and even cj bruton spoke really highly of him and you know credit to him for his longevity that he's had throughout his career you know still playing and and doing a great job with southeast melbourne phoenix i think they needed someone coming off the bench spotting that veteran leadership and just being courtside when the phoenix played the wildcats here in perth a few weeks ago you could just see he was the guy that they looked to when they were a little bit in trouble um and and he was speaking up in those huddles and uh you could just see the leadership that he brings to that club absolutely and yeah hopefully everybody enjoys the chat that i had with him later on in the show also you mentioned it last week, Sean, that we want to get some of our listeners involved here. So uh, we put out the, the question there for some of our listeners to send some questions through to you, and we've, we've got some beauty. So we're going to have a segment on this week's show, a Q&A segment with you, and hopefully some of those put you on the spot. But great to see some support from our listeners, and we want them as, as involved as possible. So I'm sure you're looking forward to seeing what, what our listeners want to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what, uh, you know, we want to give a little insight to some of the players and, and uh, in, into the league and, and, and a little background that you probably wouldn't get in other, uh, I guess, mediums as well. So I'm looking forward to uh, the mailbag this week. 
Mm. Now, of course, we're here thanks to Hoops Heaven, our major sponsor. They've been terrific supporters of ours from the very start. ID Athletic have jumped on board as well, and and thanks to them, we'll be able to offer one of our listeners a chance to to win a whole brand new uniform for for their for their team. So tune tune in for details on that, and also Devlin's who have been a great supporter of ours as well. Um, Let's get straight into it, Sean, because we've got a lot to cover and it was a massive round five in the NBL. Two of the teams that struggled were struggling coming into it, Melbourne United and the Brisbane Bullets. They came away with two two really good wins. The Perth Wildcats split their road, their road double, which given they had to go down to Invercargill on Sunday, probably wasn't a terrible result. A um, couple of teams, you know, continuing to struggle, the Illawarra Hawks especially. What stood out to you from, from what you saw in round five? Oh, look, I think Melbourne getting getting those two wins was huge for them. We always kind of thought that they would, uh, I guess, um, figure it out eventually, especially with the talent that they have. So uh, credit for them getting two wins against two quality oppositions. I think I was... I think everyone was a little surprised. Perth was able to actually the game they won was the second one, not the first one um, versus Brisbane with their tough schedule. So there's some interesting results in there. You know, I thought Adelaide had their chances versus Sydney. The, uh, the, the end of the game in Melbourne and Sydney wasn't interesting as one as well. So there was um, there there was some some results there you weren't weren't sure, and I think that just shows uh, how tough this league is. And and you've got to be able to play. Um, you know, even a Brisbane team losing three straight heading into one beat beat Perth. So it's uh, anyone can uh, can win any week, and just highlighted that this week. I think the biggest. Talking point, or at least the biggest highlight to come out of the weekend was Will Weaver's ejection as a Sydney Kings coach at halftime on Monday night in Melbourne. That was remarkable, remarkable to see from somebody who has been so level-headed the whole time we've seen him, whether it was part of the Boomers or since taking over from the Kings. Um, it was pretty animated. It was, it was. Well, let's be honest, it was pretty entertaining to watch. Um, what did you, what did you make of that? Yeah, you know, it was, you know, because start of the year, I really looking and watching Will Weaver coach and talk, hearing the players talk about him and how level-headed he seemed. It was, uh, Mm. it was, it was a real shock to everyone. I guess maybe being on the road and being cramped in a hotel room for a couple days. I don't (laughs) know if it was bad, bad Melbourne coffee or what, but, uh, you know, he seemed to really, and it was, it was a weird time of game as well. I mean, it was halftime. Your team's playing well. You're undefeated. I mean, everything's going right for you. You're on the road playing against Melbourne, who obviously isn't, hasn't played great, but they're going to be a tough beat this year. So things are going well for you. Um, and I guess it just shows that the human side of, of sports that uh, I guess we're all capable probably of, of uh, when you get into a competitive environment, uh, losing it a little bit. So it was a, a big talking point and, mm. uh, you know, to get ejected right there, I think that kind of hurt his team, especially in that second half. Yeah, I think so too, and they ended up losing their first game of the season as a result. But uh, afterwards, he made he made two points in regards to it. One, that it was just a build-up of frustration because from the start of the game and for a couple of weeks now, he's been on to the referees talking about the pushing gut that goes on of pushing into the screens, and and he felt like it had been ignored, and throughout the first half of that game, he felt like it had still been ignored, and then we, shook, we saw... Jay Sean Tate get pushed too high onto that screen on halftime, and that's what pushed him over the edge. But 
I mean, that's probably trivial when he looks back on it. The second point I want to get your thoughts on, though, he feels like there's a big discrepancy in the way a home team gets called opposed to an away team in the NBL. He's new to the league, so I guess he's coming from an outside perspective on it. You've played in Perth for a long time, and to be honest, there's been no bigger difference in the league between the calls that the Wildcats get at home to what the Wildcats get away from home, and you experienced that through well, pretty much your whole 380-game career. Um, is it a real thing, as it from a player's perspective, the home court advantage in terms of the calls you get? Look, I think that refs are human. And, you know, if you've got a big crowd, you've got 13,000 fans, and I'm not saying that this, they do this on purpose, but there's got to be something subconsciously that says, you know, a big call that goes 50-50, you're probably going to give a few more to the home team. And there's no – it happens in every part around the world, it seems like. But I want, the other point I want to make is usually the home team is playing well or is plays better at home. And usually when you're playing better, you're not complaining as much about calls. And when you're losing, you're pl- complaining about calls a little bit more. So I think there's there's a little bit of that as well. Um, so, you know, obviously the Wildcats play a lot better at home than they do away. That's for most teams. And uh, and when you're playing better, you're usually a little bit more aggressive. You're playing playing better defensively. Um, when you're poor on defensively, sometimes you, you end up fouling more. So, uh, you know, I don't think there's one factor that you can point to. Um, but I think there is going to be a discrepancy. And that's probably why it's tough to get those road wins as well. It's, um, you know, you're, you're playing against travel. You're playing against a team that feels better. Usually the bench players play better at home. They get in, they feel a little bit more comfortable. You might have a couple calls go against you during during the game as well. So um, it's, uh, you know, you got a lot of factors going against you to try and get those wins on, on the road. So I don't think, uh, and, and I don't know, maybe Will Weaver doesn't see that. He didn't see that over in the G League, but I suspect that the home team in most leagues in the world are going to get more calls than the away team. Yeah, I think so too, and I think it's most sports as well. I don't think it's something that's just just linked to, to basketball. And I just think it's a natural thing. I know, I know, nothing frustrates fans more, and nothing frustrates you more when you're the opposition team and you feel like the calls are going against you. But like you said, when you have thirteen thousand people that are making a huge roar when they think they've seen a foul, it's natural that I guess the referee's attention is drawn more to it than when out the other end there's complete silence when there's there's contact. So I mean, it, it's it's just a natural thing, and I think the referees certainly don't do it deliberately. I just it's something that is unfortunately I just don't think it's something that you can ever fix, and it's something that is is naturally part of a home corner advantage. And I think the the better and a louder of a home crowd that you've got, the more of a, an edge you can get. And, I think it's just the way it is. I, I don't think there's anything that anyone can can do about it because it's just it's just human nature. Well, I mean, you can obviously. I mean, I I think the league, from the refing point of view, has gotten even more professional over the last yep. few years. Um, and I think credit to the NBL and in, in taking that, and even the NBA, you've seen that over the years that they're you know they're starting to throw a lot more resources because you know they know how much it does affect games. One thing I'd like to see the NBL look at is that unsportsmanlike foul um, at the end of the game. And I said this a couple of years ago when they when they brought that in. I said, that's just a basketball play. That's not yeah, – I, I understand the one in the second quarter when someone gets a steal and they're trying to beat that last defender and they reach out and they foul. To me, that's unsportsmanlike. That's not 
you know, you're not getting, it's not in the flow of the game, right? You're slowing the flow of the game. But when there's five seconds left and you need to foul, if you go and yep. hack someone on the arm, nothing malicious. That's just a basketball play. Absolutely. You know, let's, let's put common sense into it. Not, not saying, and, and let, you know, if the FIBA wants to go that route, let, let's not ruin a great game of basketball by doing this unsportsmanlike foul when it's just a, it's just a basketball play. There's nothing malicious in it. Let's just have some common sense within it. And, and the rest are doing what they've been instructed. I just think I would love to see the league come in and say, look, let's clean this up. Let's make this right. That's not, that's not a malicious foul. No, you're right, because what it does is it ruins a good game. We all want to see a, a thrilling finish. We, we all want to see a game decided at the buzzer, which generally can happen if you if you play out that, that free throw contest towards the end. But once it's an unsportsman, like the game's over. It, it's, it's all finished. The drama's all, all taken out of the building. And look, if you go and you tackle someone, yes, that's yeah. unsportsmanlike. But sure. if you're just reaching and just grab their arm because you know you need to stop the clock, yes, let's just say the call that a foul. They get the they get their free throws. They get whatever um, whatever is due in the game. But don't give them two shots and the ball back, mm-hmm. and then the game's over, and everyone's scratching their head saying that why you know yeah. that's just not yeah. that's just not what as great as the nbl is this year let's clean up that end of the game and i think uh, i think a lot of the fans will be be happy absolutely now we've got another new arrival in the league heading into round six as well glenn rice jr i think a lot of us who grew up throughout the the 90s remember his dad pretty pretty fondly um Hugely talented player. He's replaced Scott Hobson at the New Zealand Breakers who injured his knee in their win last Thursday over the Cairns Taipans. Matt Walsh has come out and said that he's the, the most talented player to ever come to play in the NBL and he expects him to help the, help lead them to a championship, which to me suggests that Scotty Hobson might not be coming back. <laughs> well, some big calls. I mean, I think uh, Homicide called Scotty Hobson the best player in the NBL after <laughs> about two plays in the preseason. You know, Matty Walsh is calling Glenn Rice Jr. Uh, the greatest player. I'm always of the opinion, if you're coming out saying that, that means you're ha- you're having to sell this to your yeah. fans. Sure. Um, let's see. Let's have him get a couple games under his belt and and see how he goes i mean obviously some great ped- pedigree there glenn rice one of the elite shooters um probably mm. to ever play in the nba and just had such a high release soft touch yeah um let, let's hope it, it, glenn rice jr can uh can provide what he provided the nba for a number of years you know these, these are always going to happen there's going to be injuries um, you know, I think it's a, a great get at this time of the year for the New Zealand Breakers, but you also uh, we've got to await the results to uh, see how that um, that all plays out. I, I imagine. Now he had played for Dan Shamir in Israel, so they're familiar with one another. But he, he'd also left his club in Israel largely because he punched one of his teammates in the face. Culture-wise, are you happy to bring somebody like that in? Look, I, I think you're. It, it, to me, it doesn't sound like it's a long-term fit there. Um, yeah. You're just trying to get a few wins under your your belt. Um, probably a little bit desperate to uh, to get some wins after you know sitting, I guess, down the bottom of the ladder at the moment. So uh, you know they didn't play great in the second half against the Wildcats and fell down there. So they they need to uh, they need to get some wins quickly. It that does seem to be the route that the New Zealand Breakers are going. They're going against mm. that kind of say, Mick and Bacona, Dylan Boucher, culture building yeah. to, hey, we're just going to go get the best talent. We're going to go get RJ Hampton. We're going to uh, we're going to go get a coach from from overseas. We're going to try and just produce the best talent here. 
um, sure. and see if we can make it work. So that that's the route they're going, and I guess it, it, time will tell. I, I'd say it'd be hard to um, to fit a guy like that so quickly into the, into their system, but um, sometimes you know talent does win games. So we'll see if Ben Rice talent can overcome some of the other obstacles that might be with the signing. Now, just quickly, before we have a bit of a rundown on the Round 5 results, the Illawarra Hawks, they're now 1-7. and seven. They did get Josh Boone back on on the weekend, but they lost to, to Brisbane in Canberra. Lamello Ball, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. So, two things. What do they need to do personnel-wise to replace Aaron Brooks? Who would you look to bring in at this point when they're 1-7? and seven? I know you, a couple of weeks ago when we mentioned it, you thought that it's not quite season over now, but I suggest it probably is now in terms of the playoffs. So what do they do to replace Brooks, and how long do we expect Lamello Ball to stay if they keep losing? Yeah, that is the question. Um, and and the one thing that uh, people haven't talked about is LaMelo Ball, a lot of people are talking about number one pick. So has yeah. he already done enough to get himself a number one pick? If he keeps playing and they keep losing, is he affecting that number one pick? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a number one pick or you're the number five pick, that's a big difference in your yeah, signing, uh, just your notoriety, your endorsements that you're going to yep. get. So. There's some interesting uh, conversations that I imagine the Ball family uh, would be having at this stage. I'd obviously be trying to get some feedback from the NBA, see where they're at. But a number of people have come out and said, you know, he's uh, he's at the top of their list. So mm. you got to be thinking. Second, I guess, is what, yeah, what did the Hawks do? Do they look – for me, you want to pair a flat-out shooter with LaMelo Ball. You know, yeah. someone that can – open up the court for the rest of the guys um, that can get the get it done, but also a little bit like Brooks, but probably maybe a little bit taller and, and sure. more of a, a pure shooter. If you're going to have the ball in LaMelo Ball's hands, like they, the offense that they're running currently. so But they've, they've come out with a big list of, of guys that they're looking at. I guess mm. we'll, we'll time will tell, but if they're going to make a change, they need, to, uh, they need to do it now. Josh Boone doesn't look like he's 100%. He's not playing no, he with uh, the Josh Boone that we've, we've come to know over the last couple of years at Melbourne. So uh, that'll be an interesting as one as well with the with the broken nose and just just uh, looks a little bit uh out of sorts um timing wise uh, especially yeah. on offensive end all right let's very quickly move into our round five nbl recap brought to you thanks to hoops heaven sean and seems like a, a lifetime ago now back to thursday night the round got underway um spark arena new zealand breakers 93 beat the cans taipans 85 as we talked about they lost scotty hobson along the way but Corey Webster had that type of game that you've been expecting him to have the whole season. He hit four threes on his way to 23 points, and RJ Hampton had his best game as well with with 18 points and, and hitting four threes. And I thought Cairns played pretty well. They got good good output again from Cam Oliver and Majuk Deng, and you know Kuat Noy sparked them in the second quarter. DJ Newbel was was pretty solid again, but the break is with Webster and Hampton just had enough to to get to get the job done. Yeah, Corey Webster can just make tough shots, and uh, when he when he's on, and you combine that with a solid game from Hampton, and when he can hit threes, it just makes those two uh, a dynamite combo. Uh, the question for them is, can they produce that on a nightly basis and and put a lot of pressure on these uh, on on the defenses? Um, you know, they they didn't do that against the Wildcats, but uh, they got the win. They needed the win, and great to see so many fans there at Spark Arena as well. Yeah. It's uh, you know that's becoming a uh, 
a little bit of a fortress um, for them, I think. Friday night, Brisbane Bullets and the Perth Wildcats. Important win for the Bullets to snap their three-game losing run. They were pretty solid, beating the Wildcats 87-78. to Jason Caddy stepped up, hit five threes. Um, Taylor Braun answered some of his critics, had a good game, and they overcame 23 points from Tariko White for the Wildcats. Yeah, the Wildcats didn't seem they, they played great basketball. Credit to uh, Brisbane and and uh, when Kadi can come in and I mean he played great for the whole weekend. I thought yeah. Um, yeah. just come in and provide that punch off the bench that they've been lacking uh, is just gives them an extra extra weapon when when other guys uh, aren't playing well. So you know I, I think Brisbane's going to be there in the end. They just got to uh, you know guess just find some consistency. It just seems like guys are a little bit up and down, um, and then just finding. Their roles, but credit could be backing up. You know, after probably a slow start for him, uh, two mm. huge games for the week. Saturday, the second Melbourne throwdown, big win for Melbourne United. They're putting up some big points now. They're starting to, to find their groove with with still without Casey Prather at the moment. Um, they beat the Phoenix one hundred and ten to ninety eight. Sean Long thirty one points and twelve rebounds. When he's playing like that, he he does look like an MVP candidate. Well, the only person that can limit Sean Long is Sean Long. I mean, mm-hmm. and maybe the men in green, because if he gets in foul <laughs> trouble, he can't be yeah. out on the court. But when he is on the court, if Melbourne are not getting the ball in his hands coming down the court, to me, that's an empty possession because there's, there's no five men that can guard him. I mean, even Andrew yeah. Bogut, who's many consider the MVP and, and the best defensive big, and he's just having his way. Um, yep. he, he is a dynamite player, especially on the offensive end. I think he could probably give a little bit more effort on the defensive end. It would help uh, Melbourne's chances. But, I mean, offensively, he is uh, an exciting player. And, and I think Melbourne need to play through him a little bit more, and then it'll open things up for, for the rest of the guys. Really good game also on Saturday at the Adelaide Entertainment Centre. Record crowd in South Australia for basketball turned out. Um, went to overtime for the first time this season, and Jerome Randall had his chances at the end of regulation, probably didn't take the shot that Joey Wright wanted him to take. But in the end, once it got to overtime, the Kings were, were too strong and pretty good win for the Kings. And I thought it was a really good game, probably one of the best games we've seen so far this season. It was. It was an exciting one. Casper Ware hitting that big three after the offensive rebound. Yeah. He just seems to love that moment. He, he got to get be able to get a stop, and, and Adelaide weren't able to rebound uh, like they needed to. And, and credit to Sydney coming back and getting that win. There was some questionable moments there where there was an unsportsmanlike foul called. Andrew mm. Bogut thought it was his second one. He thought he was ejected. <laughs> yeah. He's already um, back but, to the locker room. Yeah, but then the refs uh, decided it was on someone else. Uh, Joey Wright wasn't too happy, as you would expect, <laughs> about that. Yep. And and uh, in, in Bogut was able to stay in the game. So the, you know, credit to Sydney getting the win. I think that's a that's those are those ones where you kind of look back at the end of the season and be like, maybe we probably shouldn't have won that one, but because mm-hmm. we won that one, that'll give us a top two finish. Um, yep. And so credit for Sydney finding a way to win. But Adelaide's got to be. A little frustrated they let that one slip. I thought they had that one. Um, they were up, and uh, just a couple threes to Casper Ware and, and end of regulation uh, cost them. Then Sunday, down in Invercargill, like we talked about, Perth Wildcats, big win for them, 84-79, to 79, given given the travel they had to undertake from from Brisbane on, on Friday night. And it came after Tariko White was scoreless at halftime, but I think he had 14 points in the third quarter, and then he hit the game winner towards the end, and he's proving a big-shot player in the league right now. And, and Dario Hunt, clearly his best best game as a Wildcats player as well, 21 points, 11 rebounds. And, and those two were probably the biggest reasons why the Wildcats came back with the win. 
They were. And, I mean, if, if you would have told me before the game that Tariko and Bryce Cotton are going to shoot seven for 30 and the Wildcats yeah. are going to win, and Bryce Cotton and Damian Martin had the same amount of points, mm. I would have yep. thought for sure that uh, – and they're playing on the road down South Island, New Zealand, that for sure that's going to – Chalk up a loss, but credit to uh, to the Wildcats finding a way. Dario Hunt, yeah, he's really starting to find his role. I think, you know, people probably a bit questionable at him at the start, but just from the film that I saw, he just looked like he had a little bit more basketball sense um, and feel that, say, Derek Cook Jr., but that same athleticism. Mm. And you could just yeah. see some of the moves he's making when he catches that ball that other bigs maybe didn't have that, that the Wildcats have had uh, in the past in that import spot. So, I'm really liking. I think he's a genuine post team. player, isn't he? You can really go to him down in the block and expect him to go to work. Yeah, he's starting to get, gain some confidence there, and I think the guys are starting to find a little bit more confidence. That was my kind of question mark with the Wildcats. Are they going to have a, a low post threat? Obviously, losing mm. Angus Brandt, Tom Jervis from last year, so uh, Daria Hunt is stepping up and providing that uh, at times this year so far. Then also in sun, on Sunday in Canberra, probably the result we expected: Brisbane Bullets beating the Hawks. 83 to 69. They got up early and were never really threatened, and it was a tough one for the Hawks because they they just seemed like right now they're they're a step below the the rest of the league. They do. They just look a little bit lost. They just don't know their identity yet on offense. Are they playing through Lamelo each time? I mean, Lamelo makes two or three just dynamite plays um, throughout the game, either a pass or a drive and a finish. It's it's exciting to watch, but yeah, you just they just haven't really found their groove. Um, obviously with, with Matty Flynn in there as the coach and a new system as well. So it's it's a tough one. You got so many juggling parts there and, and, and an eighteen year old point guard that's got the ball in his hands most of the time. So there's a there's a lot of things that kind of work out to, to be able to get the Hawks going. They've they've got some talent, but they've just got to figure figure out and then obviously losing some of their guys doesn't doesn't help. And credit to Brisbane. They they went to Canberra and got the win. Um, two great wins for the week. Yeah. And lastly Monday night at Melbourne Arena, Melbourne United 107 beat the Kings 104, Sydney's first loss of the season. It was a fantastic game. Casper Ware, first game back in Melbourne, put up 34 points. Opposed to him, Mallow Trimble had 27 points. That was a that was a terrific matchup to watch. Um, but Sean Long again, 20, 20 and 14 up against Andrew Bogut. He probably got the better of, of that matchup. The Kings didn't see Diddy Lozada after halftime either, but it was a, a fantastic game to watch and it was one of those games when we factor in that that Will Weaver obviously got ejected at half time. It just had had a bit of everything. Yeah, I think the two most talented teams in the league right there going yeah. at it. Uh, and credit to Melbourne, I found a w- found a way to win. Got enough points, um, one hundred and ten and one hundred and seven over the weekend. So offense mm. is definitely working for Melbourne. If they can get their defense to the level that they had in, in previous years, I think they're going to be a force to reckon with. Absolutely. So, so there we go. Thank, thanks to Hoop7 for that recap of round five in the NBL. Just quickly running through through the table. Sydney Kings on top at 6-1. and one. The Perth Wildcats 6-2. and two. South East Melbourne 4-2. and two. Brisbane Bullets 4-3. and three. That rounds out the top four. The Adelaide 36 is just outside 3-3. Three and three. Melbourne United, they're, they're coming back to the pack now. 3-4. and four. New Zealand Breakers 2-4. and four. Cairns Taipans 2-5. and five. The Illawarra Hawks 1-7. and seven. What do you make of the ladder after after five rounds? 
Uh, I think it's probably to be expected. I guess the the two that stand out there are probably Melbourne and Southeast Melbourne. You probably would have flipped those uh, records yeah. um, to start of the year, but um, it's a uh, it's going to be a tough league. I mean, it, it's going to go down. Usually, you need fourteen wins to get into the playoffs. So, um, yeah, so you, you kind of got to look at that. You the fourth, yeah. At that around a five hundred record, um, it, it's kind of playing that way currently but um you know teams just got to be mindful you can't lose too many and then mm. you know expect to finish the season seven and two this league is too good to be able to to do that and uh produce results that late uh get such quality opposition night in night out that first segment of hoops heaven's basketball hustle for this week was proudly brought to you by hoops heaven our naming rights sponsor here on basketball hustle they've been on board since the start of our show and they've been in existence since 2012. Check them out. If you're in Perth, on Murray Street, a store that has everything you could ever hope for, but also hoops7.com.au from anywhere in the country, anywhere around the world, make your order now, and Jason and his team will take, take care of you. Everything you imagine in terms of basketball gear, from all the latest shoes, the, the latest Nike, Jordans, Adidas, everything you can imagine, plus even your, your first ever NBL gear. The NBL just released their city jerseys this week, and you can grab yours now from, from Hoops Heaven. Anything else you can imagine. Mitchell and Ness gear, New Era gear, NBA gear, NBL gear, shorts, jerseys, beanies, jumpers, singlets, t-shirts, socks, anything you can ever hope for. Hoops Heaven, proud supporter here of ours at Basketball Hustle, and make sure that you support the sponsors that support us. And now, Sean, it's time for our interview of the week here on Hoops Heaven's Basketball Hustle. And, and this man's done it all in the in the NBL. Um, you've known him for a long time at, as an opponent, as we talked about at the start of the show. I've known him for a long time as well, and it's always a pleasure to catch up with him. He's always been generous with his time with me, and I, I remember catching up with him and doing articles as a result for, for probably his 200th game milestone, his 250th, his 300th, his 350th, his 400th. He's now racked up 419 games in the NBL. He's a dual championship winner. He went to the Olympic Games in 2012 in London. He's back in Melbourne now for a second stint in in Victoria. Obviously successfully played at the South Dragons first up. He's now back with the South East Melbourne Phoenix this season. Decorated career. Three seasons at the Bullets. One at the Dragons for a championship. Three at the Gold Coast Blaze. Four at the Adelaide 36ers. And then the last three at the Brisbane Bullets again. Had a good chat to him. Hopefully you will all enjoy it. Talked basketball. Coming back to, to Melbourne to play with the Phoenix this season. The difficulties of living... In the, in the opposite city that your wife currently is, and even his post-basketball plans as well. So let's, let's get to it, and hopefully you enjoy my chat with Adam Gibson. You know, always, always good to get the chance to sit down and have a, have a chat with you. Um, did you ever imagine you would be appearing on a podcast that's hosted by Sean Reddick in your life? Uh, uh, I, actually, I actually got to play with Sean uh, in the High State Hoops, hoops one. Mm-hmm. It was like in Adelaide. He's actually really good to play with. Uh, you know, four men that like run and jump in the backcourt and help you out defensively. Guys like Dylan Bouch, I really enjoy playing with. So I actually enjoyed playing with him for that one time, but obviously playing against him for a number of years on the other side, it's uh, yeah, always been a bit of a battle, but now nah, here we are. 
the thing that's difficult about doing a show with him is that when you get guests on, it's hard for it to not become a, a Sean Reddy's tribute show. I'm sure you don't have too many fond memories of playing against him. No, well, like I said that one time, but you know, every, every other game, it's been uh, you know some pretty big rivalries. I guess the Adelaide ones come to mind, grand final series and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, obviously uh, not the fondest memories playing against him. Uh, so, yeah, no, no highlights for him. Life back in Melbourne now for you. Um, it's been a long time since you lived in, in Melbourne. Back to the back to the Dragons days. What's it, how are you settling back in? Yeah, really well. Uh, you know, ten years later, uh, I guess not a lot's changed. I think just moving back to, to Melbourne, you just realise how big of a I guess city it is for basketball, yep. uh, especially for us out in the southeast. We go to schools and there's gyms like phenomenal, impeccable gyms that we just go and like run camps at and we can train at, uh, you know, 24-7 so I think just uh, heading back there and just realising how big of a, a place it is for basketball is massive and it's awesome for us as a club trying to build a, a brand new franchise. Also, you had the Dragons when they were trying to, to build that that club out of out of almost nothing in the in, this, in the southeast region as well and obviously on court it, it turned successful for, for, for a year but ultimately it didn't turn successful. Do you see many similarities and do you feel like the, the people now backing the Phoenix have learned a lot of those those lessons from 10 years ago? Oh, no, I think it's a completely different. Uh, you know, one thing is we're based out in the southeast, so I think that's a massive change. Um, we're really trying to dive into that, that area and that crowd out there, so I think that's the biggest difference. We're in the city, well, in close to the city with the Dragons, so we didn't really have that connection with the southeast, but these guys are massive on the community out there. Um, and I think that's shown with our crowds that we've kind of got on board, um, just really dipping into the locals out there. We've done a lot of promo hours in our early early months, I guess, as a club, and I think that's really shown. So um, I think the team-wise can be similar to what the Dragons were that championship year, um, but from every other aspect, I think it's, we, we're kind of our own identity out there, and it's it's been awesome to see, the, the I guess, the engagement from the community. You didn't always play in front of big crowds the last couple of years in Brisbane on your on your home court. What's it like to have 10,000 home fans to play play in front of again? Yeah, well, I mean, that first home game, I wasn't sure what to expect. Mm. You know, obviously, brand new club coming back with the bullets. We had, you know, three, three and a half thousand people. So to have, I think, six and a half our first game and then close to 10 for our second home game, it's it's pretty awesome. Like the, the like I said, the club have done a great job. High Sense or Melbourne Arena is a, a great venue to play in. And there's just so many basketball fans in Melbourne that I mean obviously you had United but I think they've just been you know aching for a second Melbourne team for a long time Having spoken to you when when you first signed for for Brisbane, when Brisbane was coming back into the league, you you felt like it was a bit of a homecoming for you, and I feel like you felt like at that time it was probably where you were going to end your career. When did you start to think that maybe that wasn't the case, and maybe there was there was something else out there for you? Uh, I guess in the in the off season when they didn't offer me a contract to come back, <laughs> yep. um, but. Uh, I've said it a few times now to a few different people, the grass is always greener on the other side and kind of glad what's happened has happened. Um, just more, I think, more opportunity. I think I have potential to play longer with this new team and then moving forward post-basketball career, I feel like I can really establish a role within either the club or the team down there in, in some kind of role. So I definitely wanted to, to stay and finish in Brisbane. That was my first club. Um, I said I would have played there my whole career if they never folded. But um, looking on now... I'm kind of glad what's happened's happened and I'm part of this brand new franchise because they're 
possibly the most professional club I've, I've played for in 15 yeah. years, and that's a brand new club. So the stuff they do off the court's phenomenal. The people they have around the club just set things up so well that I think that's really shown with our on-court success. The older you get, the more you probably think about what's happening post-basketball. Do you feel like Melbourne will be now where you settle? Is that is that the way you're feeling about it? Yeah, well, potentially. Um, the wife, she's still in Brisbane working as a family lawyer, so we've got to work out a few things there. But I think just the opportunities that can come from basketball for myself post-career, I think are definitely going to be more so in Melbourne. So, um, like I said, I'm loving my time there. I'm loving the people in the club, and I, I feel like I can really evolve some opportunities uh, the next few years. But I also think I'll be able to play longer. You know, potentially staying in Brisbane, I may have played for another year or two, but... You know, the way I feel now and the way I am physically and whatnot, I think, who knows, maybe three or four more years. It's tough being away from your wife. You saw, you saw what Peach went through when he moved back to Brisbane and was away from, from his wife and his, and his daughters and, and just how tough, how tough it is. Um, it's probably been not four or five months now since you've been in Melbourne away from her. Obviously, you've seen her at times, but without living together. What's it like having a wife that you're not, not living with right now? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, obviously, Peach had his kids as well, so that's a whole new, new battle to fight. But it's been super hard. It's especially hard on her. I mean, she's a family lawyer, she, so she already works her butt off and works super long hours I guess that's kind of helped with the the distance thing because she's keeping busy and whatnot but I just feel I guess bad for her that she has to fly on her weekends off and give up a lot of her time her downtime and her spare time to, to fly and see me obviously I, my schedule's a lot harder to get up there so um, yeah it's hard and obviously we miss each other and, and whatnot and we, we're working through it and i uh, got to really take my hat off to her because she's uh, she's working through a lot at work and, and obviously with this stuff so we'll work it out and uh, we'll be we'll be better for it in the long run I guess right now you just make the most of it and see, see each other as much as you possibly can yeah for sure I mean lots of uh, lots of frequent flyer points being used up but you know she, she said that um, you know, if I find something long term in Melbourne or if I knew I was going to be here for three or four years she'd move in a heartbeat but the fact that it's just a two year contract and, and who knows what's going to happen at the end of that why would we give up her great job for, for that risk so you know if I can work with a club and sort out something for maybe the next couple of years and I think she'd make the move but for now we'll just uh, you know work through the season you know keep working on the long distance and the flights and see each other as much as possible and the club have been awesome with that stuff you know we play up in Brisbane and be allowed to stay an extra couple of days and whatnot so they've been really good with that stuff um, so we'll, we'll tough it out for this season and, and work it out in the off season. You're still playing good enough basketball where there's no reason to think you can't play you know one two three however many more years you want to but when you you do when you know that you're at the back end of your career like like you are do you start to think post basketball I spoke to Werther about it on on last week's show and kind of hit him like a ton of bricks when he realized that he wasn't playing anymore and I asked him about reflecting on his career and it kind of made him sad because all of a sudden he realizes that he, he, he those experiences are now are now all behind him he's not going to get that adrenaline rush of running out in front of 10,000 fans again and hearing that crowd roar and all of a sudden you need to try to replace that with something have you thought about what you might like to do post career yeah I mean I've, I've Obviously, the wife and family and stuff have been on me for a, a few years now, and you never know when your last game's going to be. So it's about preparing, and I think the NBL have done a good job with the Players Association of trying to put some steps in, in place. And I've been thinking about stuff for yeah, last three or four years of, of what I want, and I still don't really know. But like you said, with Werther, yeah, I, I would love to stay involved with the club. Uh, I think I'd be a really good coach of some sort, and that's just working out a position. So you still kind of get the whole environment of being at practice every day. You get to go on the road and still um, kind of live the same life but 
obviously not the physical side of things, which obviously goes, your body goes. But So that, that's my ultimate goal, is to stay involved with the club and coach. Yeah. Um, or some role within the club would be awesome. As a, as a point guard, you're naturally a leader already. You've been a captain for a lot of your career. Do you feel like you're... Whilst you're playing, you're already doing a lot of coaching already? Yeah, oh, without a doubt. Uh, I coach every day. Probably say too much at times and need to shut up. But, yeah, so that's why I think I'd be a great coach. I feel like I read the game really well. And obviously my uh, athleticism and speed haven't been while I've, while I've played for 15 years. You know, you obviously have to be smart to, to play for so long. So, yeah, that's why I think I'd be a great coach. I, I try and help out and pick up stuff. And Simon and, and Juddy and the coaches have been, they ask me questions about, you know, how would you guard this and whatnot already so I feel like it could be a smooth transition into a role like that um, just depends on on how long or how soon that'll be what about this Phoenix team that you're part of the group was together really early and that probably helped to build that chemistry during pre-season when did you start to think that not only would you be able to be competitive this season but you could actually actually be a real contender I think just after our first couple of games like our kind of bench crew or bench you know five or six or seven of us were together early on and obviously our starters Creaky and John and that didn't come in until later but it's always the unknown you play pre-season games and highs and lows and wins and losses but it's not too actually got on the floor and then we beat United when Ty went I, I didn't play Ty went down after five minutes we, we toughed that out then we had a great win our second game and then our third game as well so I think once we started playing games and just the way we, we go about our business um, it's kind of even spread obviously we have Creaky and John but Madge is putting up numbers Kendall's putting up numbers Pino's like every, it's there's no real one guy besides John I guess it's you have to shut down. Um, you know, look at teams like Perth and obviously Bryce and Tariko are their main guys and everyone will fit in around them where I feel like we spread out and the club did a great job signing the right people. They wanted no bullshit kind of guys that come in, play hard and play for each other and I think that's helped our chemistry because we, we generally like, like each other and we play, I think, the right way. You last played with Cricky three years ago in Adelaide. How how much has he grown? He was already a good player then. How much has he grown now that he's come back from his time in, in the NBA? Oh, massive. Um, no, he was obviously had some skills, and I think he's just matured a lot. Um, you know, he was he still had the same physical, I guess, attributes or whatever, but just mentally, he's so much stronger now. Um, he doesn't do as much dumb dumb shit as he used to <laughs> back then, and he, yeah, he's just smarter. Like he, he reads the game, he plays hard, um, he plays a lot smarter, obviously, and. I think just he's grown confidence in that NBA stuff. He's shooting the ball with confidence, whereas he might have hesitated five, four, five years ago. So um, I've loved playing with him, and you know, another great, really a three, but a great four man that's super, super easy to play with and makes our our lives a lot easier. One of your staff members of the Phoenix, both Sean and I, have had a lot to do with over the years. Shane Hope, are you looking after him? Who's that? Shane Hope, looking after him. Oh, Shane, yeah, he's. Uh, He's Obviously not, it, if you don't even know his name. I didn't even hear you said. He's, uh, <laughs> no, he's, he's been good. I mean, obviously, we have a lot of staff that, that work with us. Um, and like all of us on court, the guys off the court have, I think, been a phenomenal part of putting 10,000 people in our seats. So the media staff and all the work they do, is, it's all part of it. And that's why we should be a successful team. Thanks for joining us, Gibbo. No problem, mate. All right, back here on Hoop 7's Bicycle Hustle with, with Sean Redditch. And we've reached out to our audience this week, Sean, and we've got some questions from them that they want to want to hear from you. They, they're all Wildcats fans. They want to hear from from their six-time MVP winner and four-time championship winner. So let's get straight to it because 
Well, let's be honest. They want to know these answers from you, so we we owe it to them to get to give it to them. Um, and, and first let's of all, be honest, well, I I don't know these questions in advance either. No, you don't. So uh, let's let's get into these, Mikey. I'm excited <laughs> to hear hear what we got. Now, first of all, on, on Twitter, thanks to Nick Tan, this one's related to Greg Hire, and Greg Hire got involved too, and Greg really wants to know the answer to this question as well. Nick says, why didn't you pass it to Greg Hire that time when you're on the fast break so he could get his first ever NBL dunk? I'm not sure if you remember the moment, but Greg, Greg certainly does. Oh, I definitely definitely remember the moment. Um, you know, I'm not the scoring machine for no reason when I get the opportunity to score. But in all honesty, I was going to pass, and at the last second, it I had a defender in front of me, and I just didn't think I could get the ball to Greg, and that's when mm-hmm. I hesitated, got by the defender, and then everything started to click that, you know, if I pass to Greg, he's probably just going to lay it up. <laughs> and uh, and so that's when I I, I, I took the dunk um, opportunity and and in all honesty as well I think I'd maybe had one dunk in the last two years so <laughs> it was uh, I wasn't sure if Greg was gonna dunk but mm-hmm. uh, the thing about Greg and and people will say this um, you know like we, we give joke about him not dunking but actually if you watch him in warmups he loves to dunk he gets yep. up there he'll shoot the free throw that we do and he'll He'll go do a tip jam. I mean, rebounding, he was pound for pound, probably the best rebounder I played against. So um, the guy could jump. I think it was maybe the short arms that, that hurt his dunking <laughs> ability. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'd like to uh, – there was part of me that would want to just pass that ball and see if Greg would dunk. I think we played in an SBL All-Star game, and did, Greg did have a breakaway. Mm-hmm. And he laid it up. So yeah, I, I think okay. I went up and told him, like, see, that's why I didn't pass it to you. You would have just <laughs> laid it up. As far as you know, did he ever dunk in a game in the NBL? No, I don't think I don't think Greg, not from my memory. Um, I don't think he did get a dunk. He got lots of rebounds. Yep. Um, I know that for sure, but uh, I'm not sure he got uh, and lots of flexing after and once. But uh, I'm not sure he got a got a dunk. Now we've got one of our listeners that. Thinks very similarly to you, Sean. Matthew Richards responded to that question and said he was the scoring machine, not the passing machine. So he's 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 on the same wavelength as you. <laughs> yes, uh, you know, actually, uh, for for being nicknamed the scoring machine, um, I did I did give a few of my passes out there to my teammates. Had a few assists no, uh, throughout you, my time. Your assist numbers are pretty good. Don't don't worry. You you your assists <laughs> stack up okay. Um, one follow up to that. I'm assuming you can't dunk it. Now you might be able to prove me prove me wrong, and hopefully you can if if you get the chance on the court one day soon. But do you remember the moment when you couldn't dunk it anymore, or has that moment come? Oh, well, Pikey, I'll just fill you in. I was coaching at St. Mark's School this morning. Finished the session. Kids have been asking me all session, "Can you dunk for us? Can you dunk for <laughs> us?" And uh, so I grabbed the basketball, went up and got a little sneaky dunk out of the St. Mark's uh, school up in Hillary's outdoor court. So mm. um, if you want to come come see me down, come check out a Reddish <laughs> basketball uh, school session. Uh, I'm not sure the hoops are a regulation. It's definitely a size five basketball, which is a little bit easier. <laughs> but I still think I can get up. Now, doing a, a dunk in practice and then doing it in a game situation – um, is a little bit tougher, I, I must say. Uh, it, it, sometimes uh, you, you go for a dunk, and uh, the legs just give away these days. I think you just lose that uh, that fast twitch twitch muscle. Mm. But uh, but I still can can get up there um, if need be. Do you remember your last one in the game? 
Uh, well, SBL, I think I got one against uh, probably actually one of my better dunks in my career against uh, Calamunda, I think. Okay. Um, back when I was playing with the Redbacks. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure the last one with the Wildcats. That might have been that one where I didn't pass to Greg, actually. <laughs> um, that one we had Calamunda, was that when you were playing alongside Alex Loudon? Was that was that, that night? Uh, I don't know. Possibly, possibly. Yeah. I, I can't remember if it. I think it was later in the year. To be honest, I okay. think Alex was beginning of the season, and I think it was might have been later in the year. But uh, just uh, one of those times, you know. It, it's one of the stars need to align for it to happen these <laughs> days. It just does, doesn't happen uh, very, very easily or quickly. <laughs> okay, let's go to our next question. Sarah Lloyd, a big Wildcats fan. This is a bit of a leading question, Sean. How do you feel about players these days? milking or flopping for a foul i think she's referring to chris golding but there might also be a reason why she wanted to ask you in particular <laughs> well you know milking a foul i think uh, that's just going to be part of part of the game i think there's there's extremes i think the league's tried to take starting to bring in the the tech foul um you know i think that that's something that you clean up in the game uh, but i also think that you're never going to get rid of that i mean you you can't get a charge call unless unless you you, you fall down most of the times yeah. um so there's going to be a part of that and you're just in a competitive environment you're trying to you know if you can get a uh a foul i mean there's some bad ones and there's some really really bad ones and yeah i think I think it's not, uh, you know, try and try and clean it up as much as you can, but it's not going to be something that they you know completely. And you know, I think it's just it's it's, it's going to be going to be part of the game. But I think the the league is and and the refs are, um, you know, doing a doing a good job um, from trying to 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 start to uh, I guess clean it up a little bit more. And you know, and I think that sometimes as offensive players, especially guys that are just going to receive so much attention off the ball sometimes these guys like Bryce Cotton just sometimes just gets manhandled off yeah. the ball trying to come off a screen and defense is trying to create an edge and offense is is trying to create an edge there's a lot of lot of contact there so I think um, it, it's going to be a part of the game but it's something that you try and uh, clean up as, as much mm. as you can it became a talking point this week when Chris Golding, you know, tried to throw himself to the ground when Ben Madgen hardly touched him, and, and Ben tried to to just grab him to stop him from falling, and he got pretty pretty fired up, and it probably worked in Golding's favour once again. What did you make of that incident? Is that the sort of one where you just need to try to stamp out because it's not part of the actual actual play? It's, not, it's the ball's not there, and and clearly Chris is just playing it up. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But I think also you've got to um, you, you know you got to be able to handle that situation correctly as well you know i think golding i don't think he gets as much credit as people like full probably they get really upset now if he overreacts to a call and it kind of throws those guys off their game yeah it does so i mean it's it's something where you've got to almost expect it a little bit and then and then just move on to the next play and, and try and I guess score on him on, on the other end and those type of things, but yeah, I mean, I think that that's that that one. What there was nothing in that one, and mm. uh, but it, you know, it's hard to gauge that in such real time to be able to make make the correct call. So, yeah. and you don't want well, to just start going to the video replay no, every don't. single time or something like that. It's going to slow the game down. So it's 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 a hard one. Maybe you could have a ref on on the sideline that uh, that's re- reviewing something like that later. Mm. You know. I don't know, while the play's happening, so you're not slowing something down. When you do get a call in your favour when you're 
trying to get under the opponent's skin or whether it's just that you happen to get under his skin just just through you know being clumsy or however it happens and they get angry at that and then they're focused on that do you feel like you've had a big win because it's taking them in their focus off what they're trying to do and they're, they're worrying about things that that they probably shouldn't be yeah, I think so. I think there is a part of that. I mean, you're in a competitive environment. I mean, you look at the, the Sydney-Melbourne game, it came down to three points. So yeah. if if Sydney gets three more free throws or Melbourne gets three less, it, you know, mm. it could be a difference in the game. So you, you obviously you want to play it straight up and you want to do the best you can, but you're in a competitive environment. And, you know, if someone's grabbing and holding and you can bring the ref's attention to that, um, it may not have been that play, but it may have been a previous play. There's, there's part of that. And some, some guys, you just know that that's just going to upset them as well. And then I'm talking to the refs and, and they're, they're spending their whole time uh, worrying about that. Then, then rather what the next thing for their, their team and, and hmm. what they need to focus on to, to play good. Now, another question from Nick Tan on Twitter. Is there a story behind you wearing the number 42? 42. So in high school, I got given, we had trials and uh, I made the, um, so I was a freshman, so I was in ninth grade, but I made the, they put me on the 10th grade team, the sophomore team. And uh, usually the taller guys, I mean, I was six foot five when I was in year nine. So the taller guys get the bigger uniforms and I was just given 42, came out and, <laughs> And uh, and had a pretty good pretty good season there on that tenth grade team and just kind of stuck with it. So I kind of felt like once uh, you know I kind of just endeared myself to that number and then I just said you know what if I can have the number forty two for every team that I play for I think that's something pretty special. Mm-hmm. Now we keep going. Uh, we got... No 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 big reason why. Yeah. Just uh, that was the number I was given to in high school and I've just kind of yeah. kept it. Now, we've got plenty of questions, more than I expected, so let's, let's keep moving here, Sean. Matthew Georgie on Twitter, he's got a three-part question, so we'll do it one at a time. Which game, either as an individual or a team, do you most fondly look back on in your career? Ooh, which game? I mean, it's, it's hard to choose one game. I mm. would say when we won our first championship with the Wildcats back in 2010, mm. Mm-hmm. You know, at the Challenge Stadium, we hadn't really been close to winning a championship at that yep. point. We made the semis a couple times, but um, probably weren't really uh, contesting for it on a on a yearly basis. And and just knowing the history of the Wildcats as well, and the pressure of of being able to perform. And even in that game, we were down fifteen, I think, in the second quarter versus yep. Illawar. They were shooting the lights out, so or, or Wollongong at the time. So it was it was just a sense of relief and just pure excitement. You just look at the photos now how young Damian Martin <laughs> and Brad Robbins and Kevin Lish were it was uh, Jesse Wagstaff it, yeah. it, it, you know you just go back that, that one that really stands out to me I guess the other one um, probably happened overseas um, playing in in, uh, in Puerto Rico and we, we won the championship over there we'd fallen a couple times the previous years and just get the win and just knowing how important that win was I mean I've never seen a, a celebration like they had there I mean the mm. entire town of about 20,000 and they had this this parade where we drove through. I mean, about hundreds of <laughs> cars lined up. And we just went through the whole the entire town. They were out. It was it was fun to see what a a sporting team can mean to a community um, over there. So those those are probably two that really stand out to me. All right, still with with Matt. Um, is there one current NBL player that you wish you could have played with? Oh, that's a um, well. I'm trying to think. Uh, you know, I played with with a number of them. I guess I probably would have. 
I mean, I played with Bogut in the Olympics, yeah. but I would like to play with him. Um, just the the way he passes the ball and and you know his defensive presence and just knowing his story and and what he's mean to Australia basketball. Um, you know, I think he would have been a, a great one to to play with and got a lot of a lot of respect for for him and what he's been able to accomplish in his career. Last one from Matt Georgie. Your favorite away venue to play in? Oh, there's a uh, away venue. Um, to I'm pretty sure it's not going to be Titanium Security Arena. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely not there. I always found Cairns pretty tough, but I enjoyed. I just thought well, I think that's uh, the perfect environment yep. size for for kind of a regional NBL team, and seeing the mm-hmm. fans always seem to get into it there. So I enjoyed um, enjoyed playing there. I think. I think that would probably be the um, the best one. I, I think from mm-hmm. an environment one, I think Adelaide w- was pretty good. I'm excited to yeah. someday uh, see their new arena as well. Looks like it, it it's pretty exciting in there. So, oh, I would have to say that was um, Cairns was always. I didn't enjoy the travel over there, but I thought yep. from a, a an arena environment, it was uh, it was a good place to play. Yeah, it's a great place to visit too. So if you if you get to spend a couple of days there as a bonus, then it's you probably can't find can't find many better places in the world. Um, we've still got plenty to go, Sean. James Falero, who is courtside announcer at the Perth Redbacks, and you would have seen him seen him around as a as a Wildcats fan. He might have even been the one that played the the, the goodbye song to you when you found out while playing for the Redbacks, Sean. If you remember, <laughs> um, uh, he's got a few questions here. What kind of interaction do you have with the Cats now that you've retired? Do you ever visit training or catch up with current or past players or coaches? Um, I don't. I don't go to training. I guess uh, one pretty busy with doing Redditch basketball and that. And you know, I kind of uh, you know, there's times where I might be at the stadium um, and I might see the guys kind of walk in. But from uh, visiting there, and you know, I'm around the the Bendat Basketball Center quite a bit nowadays. So I'll see the guys or the coaches from there and, and staying trying to stay in touch. Um, from there, obviously, being with with the NBL and doing the broadcast, to get to be at the arena, so get, that that's fun for me to get to see the guys uh, on a weekly basis there. So it's um, you know, and get to go to the, the launches and breakfasts, is, um, obviously the end of the MVP dinner. So it, it's still great to be so close. Uh, I guess in relation, you know, I'm five hmm. minutes down the road from the Wildcats offices and then that. So I'm, I'm, I'm at Bendak quite a bit and get to see uh, success from a little bit different perspective, but they, you know, it's, it, I still got a bit of a connection with the, with a lot of the players there as well. They played for, for such a long time. So um, hmm. that's probably, you know, no official capacity, but I'm around usually and then, you know, saying hi and catching up uh, at times when I can. Now, also from James, can you recall any games off the top of your head where the nerves were just that little bit higher than than normal? And how did you generally handle nerves before big games as far as your pregame routines go? Yeah, you know, it's one of those things you're all you're going if you're a professional player, even if you're playing any any sport, you're going to have some nerves. Um, it's just a way of, of handling. Uh, you know, some games are going to be bigger than others. I remember uh, when I was trawling with um, with the Boomers back in 2008, we had our first game. So we'd been training for a little bit. We had our first game. It was back here in Perth in front of the uh 
the Wildcats fans, my family, you know, you're trying to earn a spot on the boomers to go to the Olympics. I think that was why one of the most nervous I've, I've ever been going into that game. Um, was and that just New Zealand? What's that? Was that against New Zealand? No, that was actually against uh, Iran, who was uh, had yeah, okay. come out here to play a little. We did play New Zealand uh, soon after. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was against Iran, and it was just kind of uh, – especially when you're trying to almost – earn a spot on a team it's uh you know it could be riding that one performance could determine if you're going to the olympics or you're going to mm-hmm. be cut um there's a there's a lot of uh there's a lot of nerves going into that i mean that's 25 years of, of preparation and then the yeah. making uh on one performance so for me it was about just trying to calm myself get my breathing under right and then uh and then just actually trying to get my mind off the game and think of something something pleasant and that I would I just to calm myself down. So it was, it was more things like that that I would try and do than uh what and, would you try and to think I of? think as I went over my career I, I probably got better at that as well. well. What would you try to think of to take your mind off it? Oh, I might be thinking of something I got to do later that weekend yeah. or uh you know, I might even think of a time where I performed really well. Um just anything to kind of take especially if there was negative thoughts that came into your mind, it was just something that you'd have a trigger, right? Uh, go to back to when I played great in high school. All right. You start mm-hmm. thinking about that game and eventually you start thinking about something else. It just takes your mind off of having any negative thoughts. And then when you get in the game, you can just, you can just relax and, and perform um, up to the abilities. But the, the worst thing you can do is just continue to drown yourself in, in potential negative thoughts. I, I found, I mean, yeah. I think everyone's going to have those negative thoughts. That's just being human. That's being an athlete. And it's a matter of finding triggers where you can um, just kind of drown out that and, and mm. be able to, uh, to perform. But you know, there's, there's always going to be doubt. Um, you still get that these days, even yeah. though I've, I've played for a number of years. Last one from James was, was there a moment in time in your career in Perth where you were closest to switching clubs, which club made the biggest push for you while you're in Perth? Um, yeah, I mean, there was a few times where I was coming out of contract, and you know, there was some interest from teams overseas, other NBL teams. I remember even New Zealand Breakers, uh, you know, called me after this season, um, and that to me that was an interesting one because I, mm. you know, been released by by them, so it kept come a bit full circle, I think. I think for me, I was always, I was at that point by then in my career where I just loved it here in Perth. And I just kind of felt like I wanted to be one team kind of player. I know I started my career with, with the breakers and, and left there, not under my, my choosing, but uh, I just kind of felt like, you know, you looked at guys like Andrew Vlahoff, Ricky Grace, and, and some of those guys that just played here with Perth. And I admired that they were able to uh, stay with one club that, that whole time. So that, that's something that I, um, I guess aspire to as well. And, and just, just from a family point of view, I mean, you had already moved them halfway around the world to, uh, to a new place and loved it here. And so, I, you know, if, if I could make it happen and, and stay here in Perth, I was, I was going to. And thankfully, mm-hmm. uh, those those things did happen. But there was, yeah, there were some other clubs. You know, I think uh, Townsville was after me at, at one stage, um, trying to even, uh, you know, I think Melbourne called at, at one stage as well. So there was mm-hmm. there was some other, and but I, nothing that I really went down, you know, contract negotiations or anything, just calling kind of more seeing interest in that type of thing. 
Now, we've got one here from Stuart Davidini. Now, if you want to hear the other side of this story, go back a couple of episodes, and when I spoke to Mark Worthington, we covered this topic as well, but now we can get Sean's side of it. Was it just an on-court rivalry with Mark Worthington, or was there a genuine dislike there? Oh, look, I think we're two real competitors, and... Look, I didn't – I mean, outside of being on the Olympics um, when we were teammates, I don't think I had a whole lot of um, dealings with Mark outside of the basketball court. So, you know, I didn't have anything uh, outside there. I I mean, I love the way he competed, and it made me a better player. And, you know, we had some moments out on the court, I'm I'm sure, that – that, that that's going to happen when you got two competitors and two two great players going at it. So uh, you know a, a lot of uh, you know respect for the the player that that Mark was and what he was able to accomplish in his career. And you know I think it's all the stuff. Uh, I think you know I think when we walked off our last game against mm-hmm. each other, there was there was a lot of admiration for what each each one of us had uh, been able to accomplish. And and I think we both made each other uh, better players out there as well. Yeah, it's very similar to what what were though thought thought of the whole situation as well. Um, and we've got to keep moving. Another one on Facebook now from Aloysius Yoshi Toe. Hopefully, I pronounced that right. Um, now he's got a multi-part question: Who is your toughest matchup at every level you played at? Having spoken to you about this before, at high school and college, you came up against some some guys that went on to become NBA superstars. Starting at high school. Do you remember who stood out as your, your toughest opponent? Ooh, high school. Um, so actually, I played him in high school, and then uh, and then I played him in in college as well. He, he ended my college career, but Nick Collison, who ended up going mm-hmm. on and playing the NBA for a long time, so I played him in a high school tournament. He was he was just just so talented and so fundamental you know i thought i thought i had um had some pretty good footwork and then go up against him and he would just mm. put you uh put you to shame with what he could he could produce against you and he him, his teammate was kurt heinrich as well they were yep. they were t- teammates on this team in high school uh kind of an all-star team and then and both went to kansas and ended up beating us in the uh, ncaa tournament um they were, they were unstoppable the other another guy that i i didn't actually get to play against but i saw him play and probably uh was the best player I saw play in high school was Joe Johnson. Mm-hmm. Came, uh, he was from Arkansas. His, his high school team and came and played, and he was just—I mean, he was young then as well. He was only a sophomore, and he was just dominating. So he just um, come back to play in the in the league at the Pistons this year too. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think I think we're probably sim- similar age. Yeah, uh, I think we might have been both. Uh, sophomore when I saw him play and he was just uh, he, he was pretty dynamite I think NBL oh, I mean for the Wildcats I always say uh, James Ennis and Bryce Cotton were the, the two best that, that I played against um, Ebby Ari I think yeah. you know when he was that year where he was just him and uh, Sam McKinnon yeah. to be with Brisbane, that was the best team I've in the NBL that I, I played against. I thought Chris Anstey was pretty close to unstoppable as well at times. Yeah. So I, I put those guys up there uh, in the NBL. What about in your time with the Boomers? Who who stood out? Probably especially in that Olympic campaign. Oh, I, I think I shared that. Did I share that story about Bogut when he came in and he just? I mean, he would coming off 
uh, just signing his his big deal with Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know if it was forty five or sixty million or something. A lot of money. Um, <laughs> he had to wait till July first, so insurance would would kick mm-hmm. in. And that first training session, he just dunked on everyone and just realized the athleticism from the NBL to the NBA, and it was it was a whole nother level. So, um, and I think that's why you see a guy like James Ennis. He you know his athleticism, his speed to get down the other end of the court, um, and then playing. Uh, you know, I got a chance to play against Team U. USA and I actually thought, I mean, they had Kobe Bryant, they had LeBron James. I actually thought Dwayne Wade was their best player um, and the toughest guy to defend. So, and, and I actually would throw Carmelo Anthony as the second best in there. So Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, even though they had LeBron and, and Kobe, that, that was just my take from, you know, I was, didn't play a whole lot of minutes, but that was my take mm. from the sideline. Those two guys uh, really impressed me. Not a bad foursome to say that you played against no matter what. Um, but he's actually chucked in the SBL here as well. So from the last three years, I know personally your battles in that first season against Brian Vogel were a lot of fun to watch. I'm not sure you enjoyed battling for a rebound against Jared Prue. Um, who stood out from the SBL the last three years? Yeah, I mean, Vogel, was a, he was an interesting player. He's a unique player. Um, mm. Can really uh, affect the game from a, a different point. Almost a little bit like uh, Dylan Boucher and that is passing and defense and just can, can affect games that, that most players can't. I think, uh, yeah, I was really impressed with with Braun this year up at Calamunda. I thought he was the, the best mm. player in the competition. Um, his shooting, I think an NBL team should look at him. Even I thought, you yeah. know, even potentially like a Brisbane. Um, yeah, I know they've already got another Braun, but uh, I think he's uh, he's an NBL caliber player and shooter. So um, yeah, maybe even Illawarra. Uh, you yep. could even even look. I think he's playing over over in Europe. But I, you know, I told him after one of the games that I thought he was an NBL uh, caliber import. So uh, I'll be interested if he, he does get a shot. Hopefully, mm. he gets back to the SBL and yeah. um, and then uh, I, you know I think especially with that third import spot, I think he'd be a perfect fit for a few teams. Yeah, yeah. Josh Braun was the man in question. If anyone wants to check him out, um, very last question. This has been a bigger segment than we thought, so maybe we'll have to cut it up into separate weeks next time we we do it, Sean. But last one, and this is a this is a real one that that's designed to make you feel good about yourself. Um, it comes from Murray Dunstan on Facebook, a six-time Wildcats MVP, four-time NBL champion, club legend, Sean. I'll always remember you as the guy who remarkably recovered from a horrific injury that many players would have retired from. What would you like to be remembered for? Look, it's, um, I guess for me, it was always just getting the most out of my abilities. Um, And I remember after about two or three days of feeling sorry for myself, um, with that injury, I remember thinking, let's just use this as a, uh, as, as an inspiration for someone that does have a horrific injury. They can look back, maybe look at me as an example of someone who could get back and, 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 uh, from something like that. And, and I kind of use that as a bit of inspiration for myself to, uh, see if I could, I could, could do that. So, I mean, it's good to see, uh, the fans, uh, I guess, do you remember, from those things. And I, I guess I kind of looked at that injury as, you know, people may not remember uh, all the things I did on the court, but if they, uh, you know, if, if they can take some inspiration from, uh, from a guy who could come back from uh, something like that, then to me, that was, uh, that was worth uh, putting all those time and, and effort to get back on the court. So 
appreciate that comment. And, uh, you know, I was just, uh, I was pretty blessed to, you know, get the opportunity to play in the NBL. And I just kind of felt like every day I had to make the most of it. I didn't know when my time was going to end up. And you know, I guess I look back out on my career now and I can, I can say I, I, I honestly gave everything I could and got the most I could out of the abilities that, uh, that I was given at birth. Yeah, absolutely. And given I was working at the club at the time and obviously was pretty close to it, just from from seeing seeing how badly badly off you were and hearing all the reports that we were getting from the doctors and everything straight after that, to see what you're able to do over the next nine months and not miss and be there for the very start of preseason training to to score that first basket in the very first preseason game out at out at Lakeside to be there for for game one of the season and it's probably the most inspirational thing I've seen from an athlete in my time, and that's not to, to blow smoke up you because I, I try not to do too much of that because everyone else does. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds like a story that probably should be put into a book one day, Sean. Yeah, well, uh, we're, we're working on that, uh, <laughs> working on that, uh, Pikey. But, I, you know, I think one of the things that was probably sometimes ignorance is is a little bit bliss i probably didn't realize how bad the injury was and and actually just talking to my wife after i got back and was started playing and she was telling me what some of the doctors were telling her that they probably didn't tell me um about the injury uh i guess sometimes you just kind of shake your head that uh, wow i was not only did i get back but be able to play at the elite level i don't think i ever got back to the level that i probably was before the injury but still be able to compete and uh help teams win uh you know it's probably something i'm, I'm extremely proud of well there we go that was a, a huge segment thanks to id athletic for bringing it to us and thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in we we don't have a show without listeners so thanks very much for interacting with us and hopefully sean was able to give you some of the answers that you hoped for and We'll make sure that we we do another one of those segments again, very very soon because I'm sure I'm sure you didn't mind being put on the spot either, Sean. No, that was fun. I think we got the second, third quarter, and the fourth quarter all in one one hit there. Yeah, absolutely. That segment was proudly brought to you by ID Athletic, a West Australian-owned sporting apparel company who are here to provide you with all of your team sporting gear, whether it's basketball, football, whatever it is, and whatever whatever level you're playing at. If you're at a state league level. If you're at a social level, if you're a junior level, ID Athletic will take care of all of your needs at affordable prices, a tremendously quick turnaround. From the moment you make your order, guaranteed delivery will, will be within four weeks. So if you're getting ready right now for for your pre-season, for your summer competitions, whatever it is, get in touch with ID Athletic at idathletic.com. Mention that you've heard them here on Basketball Hustle. You'll get a special deal. They can design them for you. You can go with your own design. Whatever you need, ID Athletic will take care of all of your needs. And also stay tuned next week and to our social media pages. And if you tune in and interact with us, one of our listeners will win a full set of uniforms for their team thanks to ID Athletic, idathletic.com. Now, Sean, we're quickly running out of time because that was a huge segment. Let's move into our preview of Round 6 in the NBL thanks to Devlin's this week. Starts on Thursday night. Huge game at Bark Arena. Hopefully another big crowd in attendance. Sean Long's first visit back there after he obviously played at the Breakers last season. New Zealand Breakers, hopefully Glenn Rice Jr. is right to play up against Melbourne United. This is a, a huge way to start off the round. Yeah, I think New Zealand Breakers are you know, they're obviously going to be desperate for the win. But Melbourne winning two games last week, I feel like they've got their, their mojo back. 
and uh, they need to start making up some ground. So I expect Melbourne to get that win. Although, uh, you know, with, especially New Zealand breakers out, Scotty Hobson, I just think uh, offensively Melbourne uh, and the second half for the New Zealand breakers have been pretty poor this year. So that's one thing to, to watch out for. Can New Zealand breakers be able to produce what they're doing in the first half and the second half? They haven't done that so far this year on a consistent basis. Then Friday night, another big game given the Brisbane Bullets are now coming off a couple of big wins. They host the Sydney Kings, who are coming off their first loss of the season. Um, another good game to look forward to. Yeah, it is. Is uh, Didi Lozada going to play? Is Can Brisbane continue? Um, Sydney, I mean, they've got a tough week. Go to Brisbane, and then they've got to play Perth at home with Perth having a, a full week of rest. So it's a uh, it's an interesting week for Sydney after such a good start and then uh, and losing a, a tough one at Melbourne. So I think I'm going to go with Brisbane at home here, even though I, I'm a little tossed up on this one, but I'm going to go with Brisbane, the home team. Doubleheader on Saturday starts with the South East Melbourne Phoenix hosting the New Zealand Breakers. Tough for the Breakers to play 20, well, 48 hours after hosting melbourne um what do you what do you think of this one yeah i think uh, it's it's a tough one i mean i I lived in new zealand i played um played them for that that season as well and i know playing at home getting on the road doing international travel is tough you've got to go through you know customs and immigration when you get there it's just not an easy process so i think southeast melbourne phoenix will get this one uh their only game of the week and and they'll be ready for the new zealand breakers watching the game on thursday so uh, and also trying to, you know, Breakers trying to implement Rice Jr. into their team if, he, if he's cleared. So it'll be, uh, I think Southeast Melbourne will continue their hot start to the season. Then also on Saturday, Cairns Taipans, they're in the game of the round. Nine-day break from when they last played, so they'll be a little bit refreshed after I think they had six games in 20 days. They host the Illawarra Hawks. Well, they'll be happy to get back get back to the snake pit and uh, the, the friendly confines of Cairns. So I, I expect Cairns to uh, get this one. Illawarra is struggling at the moment to just kind of find their identity. So they're going to have to uh, get some wins quickly. But I think Cairns is desperate as well. So I think Cairns will get that one. And that could decide uh, whoever ends kind of bottom of the ladder um, for the season as well. It could be a potential... Uh, First up on Sunday, always fun when these two teams go at it, Melbourne United and the Adelaide 36ers. Good good game to start the day. Yeah, I, uh, I like this one. You got two, I mean, Melbourne almost 109 points a game the last, last round. So, and Adelaide uh, aren't scared to uh, get some runs on the board as well. So, anytime you got Jerome Randall out there, Melo Trimble, Chris Golding, Sean Long, it's, it should be a good one. I, I expect Melbourne to, to get this one. Um, even though they do have to play in New Zealand. But they do got that extra day rest, so I think that's going to help them. And could Melbourne win four straight? Last game of the round, Sydney Kings, Perth Wildcats. They, they had some interesting battles last season. The only game, like you said, for the for the round for the Wildcats, even though it's still, still on the road and Sydney coming off playing in Brisbane on Friday. So it's one of those strange ones where the away team's actually going, going to be fresher. Looms as, a, as an early litmus test probably for both teams to see where they, they sit in the in the pecking order. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Perth, uh, I'm interested to see which Perth team shows up. Um, we've, we've seen them against Brisbane, didn't look flashed. They've had, you know, they've had a good start, but it hasn't been one where you've just said it's been convincingly inconsistent. They've uh, they found ways to win against Melbourne. But they haven't they haven't done that on a, a consistent basis. And Sydney, their defense outside of last week against Melbourne has been dominating. So 
I think Sydney, Sydney, and just the way they're playing defense so far, I think they'll get this one just being at home. Um, and that road trip for Perth as well. I mean, three flights to get back from from Invercargill back to Perth. That's got to take a few days just to recover from that. And then they got to get back on the plane. So um, Sydney's, uh, I think Sydney might might get that one. Although uh, it, it'll depend on um, how to go Friday night as well. That preview was proudly brought to you by Devlin's. You would know the name, Simon Devlin, if you've had anything to do with basketball in Western Australia over over the last 20 years. His business in Subiaco or at devlinsonline.com.au is well and truly worth checking out. All of your man's items that you could ever hope for, from your shot glasses to your drinking glasses, pens, cufflinks, all of the hottest luggage items, of course his famous cigars, but... What he's most famous for is the customer service he provides. So check out Devlin's in Subiaco or at devlinsonline.com.au. That's round six of the NBL taken care of. A big, big round from Thursday through to Sunday. Thanks to Devlin's for bringing that that preview to us. There's a big show in the end, end, Sean, and we might not have had that second guest on today, but really it was a chance for our, our listeners to get a bit more of an insight into you really over the first Five shows, you've provided provided plenty of good insight into what's happening in the NBL at present, but this was a chance to get to know a bit of of your backstory and to find out a bit more about you. So hopefully everybody enjoyed it. Thanks to Hoops Heaven, as always, for bringing it to you, and also thanks to the support of Devlin's and ID Athletic. It was a big show, Sean, plenty to look forward to. Can't wait to bring you another episode next week. What, what can you leave us with? Well, well, thanks for the fans. So we put that out there last week about the questions. They got some great ones. Um, hopefully we can do that a little bit more. And, and, you know, and if there's someone you want us to interview or you want a question you want us to ask one of these uh, NBL stars, uh, let us know as well. We were, we're trying to, uh, I guess, be able to connect the fans with the players and uh, and bring what the fans want. So let us know. It's been a lot of fun these first first few weeks of the Hoop 7 Basketball Hustle podcast. We're looking forward to more, and uh, thanks for joining us. Bye. Have a great time.